You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. If you have a Bible, I invite you to turn to John chapter 11. John chapter 11. Uh, With this being Monday Thursday, I thought I was going to be teaching on John 13. Uh, Jesus washing feet and giving his new commandments to love one another. And so I began preparing that sermon and I got deja vu, a really strong case of deja vu. And I realized I had preached on that exact text on a Monday, Thursday, three years ago here. And so I I could not do that. But the sad thing was it took me a long time to actually become aware that I had already written that sermon. So I literally just flipped my Bible over a page and thought, Let's preach on a, on a story leading up to that. And so we're going to be looking at the familiar story of the death and resurrection of Lazarus. Uh, because it is such a long, long text and we have limited time, I'm just going to read the first few verses and then we'll pick up reading as we go along. So we'll read the first four verses. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent to him saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. This is the word of the Lord. And pray with me. Father, we ask that through your spirit you would honor the very reading of your word, that you would open up our hearts and minds to receive your truth. May my words fall to the ground and blow away and not be remembered anymore. But Lord, may your words remain. And we pray this in the strong name of Jesus. Amen. So I want you to picture the scene. Uh, Mary and Martha had just received word back from the messenger they sent to Jesus. And this messenger comes back breathless, saying, Jesus said some good news. He said, this illness will not lead to death. And they would have let out a collective sigh of, thank heavens. Things are going to be all right. But then Lazarus got worse. And he got worse. And then with each labored breath, uh, they're trying to hold on to the words that they heard from Jesus and to reconcile them. Uh, They're trying to believe Jesus' promises. This is not a sickness that leads to death. And this is where we all live in this room. We have some promises of God that look very different than the stark reality around us. And the question is, will we hold on to the promise of God? Will we hold fast to his word and believe that despite everything our eyes see before us? Now, to be clear, Jesus did not say that Lazarus would not die. Um, He just said that would not be the end. His sickness would not lead to death, or you could say would not end in death. Death, in other words, was not going to be the final destination for Lazarus. 
And of course, that's our hope in this room as well. Jesus has told us that the road we are on leads to death, but death is not a dead end. Death is not our destination. The road that we're on will travel through death, but to a much more glorious destination. We've been promised a new and a better life. We've all been given this promise, and the question before us is the same as the question that was before those sisters. Uh, Will we hold on to the Word of God? When Jesus received the news that Lazarus was ill, uh, far from just rushing off after receiving this news, we read in verse 6 that he stayed put. For two days he did absolutely nothing. We don't read about him, you know, taking on some more pressing or urgent need or doing some other miracle. He literally does nothing. He does not teach anything. He doesn't do anything. He seems actually to just be killing time. And finally, after two days of killing time, he goes to his disciples and says, it's time for us to leave. In verse 14, he lets them know that Lazarus has died. And then he says these stunning and profound words that I want us to look at. In verse 14, he says, Lazarus has died, and for your sake, I am glad that I was not there, so that you might believe. Don't miss what Jesus is saying here through these words. He is implying this, if he had been there, Lazarus would not have died. Another way of stating that is his physical presence would have made death impossible. You you see, death must flee from the presence of Jesus. Uh, You can look your Bibles from cover to cover and you will never find a time in in which someone dies in the presence of Jesus. What you do see is when death meets the presence of Jesus, death flees. Death cannot be in the presence of Jesus once Jesus even stops a funeral procession to raise a boy from the dead. So Jesus, he stays away, not just to let Lazarus die, but in order for Lazarus to die. And so Lazarus dies, and after he's been dead, Jesus decides to go there. Uh, But even then, he seems to take just a leisurely stroll. He takes four days to walk what what was probably a day's journey. And I want you to once again picture this from Martha and Mary's point of view. The messenger had returned days before. Where in the world could Jesus be? I mean, not only did he let Lazarus die, Jesus didn't even make it there in time for the funeral. What kind of friend is this? What kind of Lord is this? So when Jesus finally does arrive, it's easy to understand Martha's reaction. She rushes out to meet him, and these words just explode out of her mouth. Lord, if you had been here, Lord, if you had just been here, my brother would not have died. Which, of course, she was right. Jesus had just said this to the disciples. 
If he was there, Lazarus certainly would not have died. Jesus responds to her that Lazarus will rise again, which she does believe that he will rise again on that last day. But Jesus says, I'm not talking about that last day. I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. And then he presses her on this. Do you believe this? Once again, Jesus' words, he is, he's stating what he had implied earlier. Death flees from his presence. And Martha responds to these words with remarkable faith. She says, yes, I believe that you are the Christ. I believe that you are the Son of God. And then she rushes off to go get her sister. Mary comes rushing out, and just like Martha, the words just explode out of her. Jesus, if only you had been here, my brother would not have died. Where were you? I came to understand these words, and in particular the pain of these words, a number of years ago when I was 20 years old. Uh, my father had a heart attack when I was 20. Uh, my family, my sister, my brother, and my mom were home. I was off in college when I got the call that I needed to rush home. But as my dad had a heart attack, my mom, of course, called 911, and no one came. And as the minutes went by, she called again. My sister called. Ten minutes go by. Twenty minutes go by. Thirty minutes go by. And no one comes. Uh, we actually live one mile from the emergency response unit. One mile away. After 30 minutes of repeatedly calling and no one coming, Someone actually drove, picked up the paramedics, and said, you need to come. And they had not received any word from 911. And drove, they followed me, and they followed all the way to the house. By then, that time, it was 40 minutes after the heart attack. When they reached the driveway, my dad died. The first words out of my mom's mouth is, where were you? I mean, death leaves quite a destruction in its wake, a huge amount of destruction. The pain that's happened, not just then, but over the last 25 years since, has been immense. But it's not just the pain of death, it's the pain of a preventable death. If someone had just come when they were called, it all could have been prevented. I understand Martha and Mary's words and the unspeakable pain that comes out when they say, where were you? We called and we called and you didn't come. So how does Jesus respond to such pain and anger there? He gets quite emotional. I mean, Jesus sees her weeping along with everyone else around him, and we read that Jesus is deeply moved 
Uh, Those words deeply move, they actually come from a Greek word that's used to describe the snorting of horses. Uh, It's most often used to describe not sorrow, but anger. Some translations might say Jesus groaned, or he sighed heavily, or he was deeply touched. But probably the best way you can understand this is that Jesus was outraged. When Jesus looks at Mary, who is weeping, when he looks at all the mourners around her, he gets angry. He's outraged. But at what? What would cause him to, be, to have such outrage in this, in this setting? Why, why such an emotional outburst? And there's been a whole lot of speculation about this. Uh, Some commentators, they will say that he was angry at seeing all of the hired mourners there faking their tears. Um, Others would say he was angry at these sisters' lack of faith or their accusatory questioning. But I believe that he was angry over the entire situation, over all of it. He's outraged at this fallen world. How long will sin and death have its power and sway over these people. All around him in that moment, there was evidence of of mankind's fallenness and enslavement to sin. There is death, there is doubt, there's the people he loves deeply hurting. And I believe all of this is hitting him at one moment and this scene overwhelms him with emotion. And so he, outraged at death and he's going to do something about it he's going to raise Lazarus from the dead now and then he's going to head straight to Jerusalem to cut it off at its source he's going to die rise three days later so he could get rid of sin and death forever this event before him galvanizes him to go to the cross Verse 35, we read that Jesus wept. And although this is one of the shortest verses, it is the shortest verse in the Bible, it's also one of the most profound. But don't think that Jesus is weeping because Lazarus died, because he knows in a couple of minutes he's going to undo that. That's not why he's weeping. He's weeping because of all the pain, all the pain that sin has caused all the pain that death has caused. He's weeping for the same reasons that he's outraged. In verse 38, we read that Jesus once again was deeply moved, same word, uh, as he approaches this tomb and he tells them to remove the stone. They hesitate because Lazarus has been in there four days. And the stench of death would be terrible at this point. But once again, Jesus, he tells them, believe, believe my word. And so they roll away the stone. Jesus responds with this curious prayer in verse 41. Father, I thank you, you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me. But I say this on account of the people standing around me, 
that they may believe you sent me. And there's a number of unusual things here. For one, Jesus is praying so that other people can hear. That's what he wants. He, I, I need people to listen to this. It's the only reason I'm praying to you now is so that they can hear me. But notice this. Jesus does not say, I thank you that you hear me or that you will hear me, which would make sense in light of what he was about to do. But he, instead he prays, I thank you that you have heard me. His father's already heard him, past tense. What triggers this response in Jesus? What makes him say these words? Is because when that stone was removed and he could smell, he was not greeted with the stench of death. No, he realized in that moment when that stone was removed that God had been preserving the body of Lazarus. Apparently, Jesus had not just been killing time as he sat around for two days. Apparently, he had not just been leisurely walking to Bethany. He had been praying during this time. And when the stone was rolled away and he smell it he said father thank you you have heard my prayer and then with a powerful word Jesus commanded Lazarus to come forth and he does and once again we see that death must flee from the presence of Jesus and here Lazarus is given a foretaste of the day that awaits us all Until then, we will have, of course, trials. We will have tribulations. Until that day, our sight will never match up with our faith. Until that day, we'll, we, are, we are staring at death and um, we'll continue to stare at death and all we're going to have is just the words of Jesus for hope. Hearing his words, this is not an illness that leads to or ends with death. And we also have this hope, that Jesus, our priest, has been and currently is praying for us, and that death will not be the end. And so the question before us is, will we indeed believe that Jesus is the resurrection and the life? Do we truly trust his words that when we someday are in his presence, death must flee from him and only life remain? Pray with me. Jesus, we believe, yet help our unbelief that you are the resurrection and the life. And I pray that despite all that we see around us, we would hold fast to your word and that we would take comfort that you have been praying and are praying on our behalf now as our high priest. We love you. We want to live for you. And we thank you for all that you have done. And come this Good Friday and Easter, may we celebrate your atoning work on the cross and the glorious life you have presented before us through your own resurrection. We pray this in your strong name, Jesus. Amen.
You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you will join us at one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.